spooky friends, welcome to another week of Creepy Tales. In this week's episode, I'm going to be bringing you the dark and grisly background of common nursery rhymes most of you are familiar with from childhood. Nursery rhymes are also known as mother goose rhymes, where usually short songs are read or sung to young children. Most nursery rhymes date back from the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. And most nursery rhymes were actually composed for adult entertainment. There are many ingenious theories attributing hidden significance and political meaning to nursery rhymes. Perhaps you will remember this first nursery rhyme from your childhood. This nursery rhyme is sung while two children hold the hands of one another in an arch-like pose, while the other kid skips around underneath the arches. Once the song stops, the child who is under the arch gets trapped and then is eliminated from the game. Have you guessed which nursery rhyme this is? Skip along with me and let's see. Have you guessed it yet? I'm sure by now it's pretty obvious. I am going to be telling you the dark background of the nursery rhyme, London Bridge. Do you remember how it goes? London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. London Bridge is falling down, my fair lady. The song goes back to the Middle Ages and became popular in the 18th century. One origin of the story takes place during a Viking attack led by a man named Olaf II Haraldson, later known as St. Olaf. He was the king of Norway from 1015 to 1028 AD. His lifelong saga involved combating the Danes. His strategy was to destroy the London Bridge by cutting off access to Norway, where he was largely responsible for the Christianization of Norway. Even today, the story of St. Olaf can be found among many churches in England. One church in particular in Southwark, very close to the bridge, he is supposed to have pulled down. After the destruction comes the Great Fire of London in 1666, just within the span of 33 years, after the destruction of the bridge the first time. The first fire happened in 1633 that destroyed most of London, including the famous London Bridge. It has been found that there were several small fires before that weakened the structure of the bridge, but the Great Fire became the real reason that the bridge was destroyed once again. It has been known, though, that the London Bridge actually helped during the Great Fire of London to act as a barrier, preventing the spread of the fire towards South London. After the destruction of the Great Fire, the bridge was rebuilt with 19 arches to make the bridge stronger to assure that nothing would happen to it. But in 1763, while the bridge was still under repair, the government ordered the reconstruction of a new London Bridge. In 1831, the bridge was opened again once for this usage, and it has been intact for 140 years after that. Perhaps the biggest confusion of the London Bridge nursery rhyme lies in the understanding of who the fair lady actually is. People have made many attempts to determine her identity with several names being proposed. Some popular names include Matilda of Scotland, who lived from 1080 to 1118 AD. She was Henry I's wife between 1110 and 1118 AD. She was responsible for building many bridges that carried the London-Colchester Road across the River Lea and its side streams. 
Then there is Eleanor of Provence, who lived from 1223-91 AD. She was Henry III's wife from about 1269 to 1281 AD. She had custody of the bridge revenues. Another theory is according to a lay family of Stonelay Park, Warwickshire. One of their relatives was a human sacrifice under the bridge. The last theory is that it's referring to the River Leah. This river is a tributary of the River Thames. Does the story of the London Bridge have roots in a Viking attack? Is it a song about a terrifying tradition or a sacrifice? Or is it about a steady deterioration of the bridge? We may never know the true meaning of the London Bridge is falling down, but it is certainly fun to think about all the different possibilities. At the end of the day, it might be simply about the difficulty of building a bridge across the Thames. Either way, the nursery rhyme continues to be one of the most popular and well-known in the English-speaking world. It was always assumed this next nursery rhyme talks about the misfortune of a trio of mice who walked blindly into a farmer's kitchen. Three blind mice, three blind mice, see how they run, see how they run. They all ran after the farmer's wife, who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a sight in your life? Three blind mice. This catchy and disturbing rhyme goes back to a song written by Thomas Ravencroft in 1609. According to some claims, the three blind mice are the three Protestants executed by English Queen Mary I of England. This was during the Catholic and Protestant religious conflict. It is about the Oxford martyrs who were tried for heresy and burnt at the stake in 1555. Queen Mary I was also known as Bloody Mary because of the hundreds of people who opposed her ruling ways and the ones that she executed. Mary was a single child of Henry VIII and his first wife, Spanish Princess Catherine of Aragon. Her father, Henry, overspoiled the young girl and even broke protocol by giving her the title of Princess of Wales. After the birth of Mary, though, Catherine failed to produce a male heir, leading to very grim prospects for her and the people around her. Henry attempted to dissolve the marriage to Catherine, claiming she had been married to his elder brother, but who had soon died after their marriage. In a desperate attempt to nullify the marriage and to remarry to obtain a new wife and male heir, Henry began citing passages from the Bible about a woman being unfit and unclean. Pope Clement VII refused his request for divorce. Henry became infuriated and broke his ties with the Catholic Church and declared himself the head of his newly formed Church of England. Without the need for permission, he quickly married Anne Bullen. Yet, after marrying her, she could also not produce a male heir. As a result, Catherine, his first wife, lost her title of queen, and Mary was declared illegitimate and demoted from princess to lady, thus losing her position in court. Many people mocked her and called her the farmer's wife. Henry grew even more greedy and wicked. He confiscated land from Catholics and dissolved their monasteries. Henry eventually did have a son. His son proved to be even more wicked and ruthless as his father. 
he ordered Catholic priests to be hunted down and executed. Mary was a devoted Catholic and seen as a danger to Protestant England. Many policies were instilled to personally vilify and attack Mary. Luckily for Mary, Edward only ruled for six years when she finally ascended the throne in 1553 AD. The queen was filled with bitterness and venomous rage for the torment she had been put through. She sought vindication by executing 300 Protestants while 800 wealthy Protestants fled the country for their lives. The most noted victims are the Oxford martyrs, Latimer, Ridley, Cranmer, who were tortured and blinded, then burned at the stake. This was done in front of hundreds of spectators. Another theory is that there were blind commoners who defied the Queen's ban on reading the Bible in English. They dismissed the Queen's ban and paid volunteers to read the script to them in public. This defying action caused a stir and resulted in their executions of being burned at the stake. The brazen Thomas Ravencroft published this song only 15 years after Queen Mary's persecutions. He was a noted scholar, composer, and musician. While the author can be disputed, it's generally accepted that the three blind mice refers to the brutal slaying of three bishops who were opposed to Queen Mary's religious reforms. The moment she became queen, Mary knew her blood boiled with vengeance. The people responsible for her social demise would pay with their lives. This gives a whole new meaning to the quote, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Don't you think? Every child has happily joined hands with friends and recited this familiar nursery rhyme. But few people realize this seemingly happy nursery rhyme actually refers to the Black Plague. Have you guessed the nursery rhyme I'm talking about? Let's see if you're right. Ring around the rosies, pocket full of posies. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. The nursery rhyme I'm speaking of is in fact Ring Around the Rosie, also called A Ring Around Roses. This nursery rhyme began about 1347, during the time the Black Plague was at its all-time high of transmission. Let's do a recap of what the Black Plague is. Remember, it's called the Bubonic Plague. It spread from rodents to fleas to humans, and it killed nearly a third of the population. The ring around the rosy refers to the red round rash, which is the first symptom of the virus. These rings would later turn into blisters that filled with pools of blood, turning them black. Some people used flowers, incense, perfumed oils to assist in warding off the virus and to help with the smell of the putrid stench of death from the decaying bodies in the towns. Of course, when people became ill and eventually died, their bodies were placed in mass burials and set on fire. Ashes to Ashes is quite an obvious reference to such a horrible experience. Some scholars may note that the reference might also be attributed to the black discoloration color of the victim's skin during the progression of the virus. Thus, we all fall down, explains the magnitude of people who lost their lives to the Black Plague. It is interesting, though, 
children have been reciting this plague-inspired nursery rhyme for hundreds of years before many people actually knew the full meaning of the song. The first mention of the interpretation of this nursery rhyme wasn't published until 1961 by James Leeser. So, the song has been sung for centuries, right? Perhaps a reason for this could be because there was a religious ban on dancing among many Protestants. Adolescents found a way around the dancing ban called play parties. A play party consisted of a ring game. And ring games were like Ring Around the Rosies. They became really hugely popular and children started taking part of the fun. This dance band could be a way to communicate history while also creating loopholes for entertainment. I just have one question to ask you. Who wants to play a game? At first glance, the Pied Piper of Hamelin looks like a fun, silly nursery rhyme, a celebration of laughter. Yet, it's nothing of the sort. It's actually a tale of warning for children and adults alike. When lo, as they reached the mountainside, a wondrous portal opened wide, as if a cavern was suddenly hollowed, and the piper advanced and the children followed. And when all were in the very last, the door in the mountainside shut fast. The tale is set in 1284 in the town of Hamlin, Germany. The town was facing a rat infestation. A piper who dressed in a coat of bright colors appeared. He promised to get rid of the rats in return for payment. The piper would lead the rats away with playing songs with his pipe, and he would lure them away from the city. The mayor and the people of the town were all too happy to have the piper help them with getting rid of this annoying vermin. After the rats were gone, the mayor betrayed the piper by refusing to pay him the full sum of money. The mayor even blamed the piper for trickery and bringing in the rats to town in an attempt to extort money from the villagers. Feeling betrayed, enraged, and embarrassed, the piper left town, but he vowed to return. Later that year, the piper returned. It was summer when he came back into town, playing his songs on his pipe. On St. John and Paul's Day in July, the piper showed up in a beautiful green outfit. The town children outside playing flocked toward him. Meanwhile, the adults were in church. They had no clue the piper had returned and that all their children took interest in the piper's hypnotic music. 130 children followed him out of town. They skipped along merrily while humming along to his music. The piper led them to a cave, entrapping them far away from their parents. However, there are many different versions of the story. Depending on the version, at most three children remained behind. One was disabled and unable to walk or follow, another was just too slow, and the other child was deaf and could not hear the music. These three children informed the parents of what had happened with the Pied Piper. One version of the story explains that the Pied Piper led the children to the top of Kopelberg Mountain, where he took them to a beautiful land. In a darker version, he took them to Transylvania, where he made them walk into water like he did with the rats, and they all drowned. 
The more optimistic version has said that the Pied Piper held the kids for ransom where he demanded the villagers pay him huge sums of gold in exchange for the children. There are a number of theories behind the meaning of the Pied Piper. A number of theorists suggest the children died of natural causes as virus or starvation, and the Pied Piper symbolized death, or even that some of the children died from a landslide that occurred on the side of the mountain or that they drowned in the river Wesser. Some scenarios suggest something else. Modern interpretation suggests the children were lured away by pagans to a forest near Copenbrugge Hills, never to be seen again. Yet some surmise the reason children disappeared was because of emigration. These illegitimate and unwanted children were sold to recruiters from the Baltic regions of Eastern Europe. The villagers received sums of money in exchange for child labor. These children later became known as the children of Hamlin. There stands to be many theories for the disappearance of these children, yet the main lesson remains. Would someone be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for their own selfish pursuits? For some parents, they actually did sell their children down the river. The ultimate profound betrayal. Ah, yes. Do you remember the famous Bloody Mary, the first I spoke about earlier in The Three Blind Mice? Well, she makes her debut again. This time, it's in the nursery rhyme, Mary, Mary, Quite Contrary. The rhyme goes, Mary, Mary, Quite Contrary. How does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. It sets a tone of a lovely woman walking around in her beautiful garden with magnificent flowers in the springtime. Yet, it's nothing of the sort. Queen Mary detested Protestants and wanted to make them all suffer and die under her rule. She blamed them for her torment caused by her father, King Henry VIII. Mary's rage grew into a bloodless and revengeful path to torment and murder. The garden is meant to be her cemetery. The more people died, the more the garden grew. As she took over the reign, she demanded her policies and laws be enacted. All those who disagreed with her were executed as a result. The silver bells stood for thumb screw torture devices. The victim's thumbs, fingers, and toes were placed in the instrument with spikes and slowly crushed. An even more notably disturbing torture device called the pair of anguish, or in this reference, cockle shells, was a device that likened the shape of a pear and slowly was turned open, up wider and wider, thus causing severe pain. Sometimes this device was inserted in sensitive areas of the body, including the mouth, where it was opened up far enough to break the jaw or teeth. Lastly, the pretty maids referred to the nuns in which Mary detested and had tortured and executed. As you can see, Mary had quite a sadistic agenda of her own. She was a master of torment and a queen of blood-stained hands. She never stopped her cruel, vengeful ways. 
The ironic part of this whole story is that Mary died when she was 42 years old of uterine cancer. Bloody Mary, a tyrannical, ruthless heiress who led her life in a strict pursuit of vicious revenge. It's no wonder she's a regular persona in many horror stories that have spanned across time. Annie Wilkes and Stephen King's misery can hold no candle to the deranged and unhinged Mary. In the words of Annie, I thought you were good, but you're no good. You're just an old, dirty birdie. Well, that's a wrap for this week. I hope you enjoyed another episode of Maven of Spook. Next week, I will be telling you creepy tales about old-time superstitions. Are you one to believe in them? Have you caught yourself tossing salt over your shoulder or maybe knocking on wood? Many of us have no idea what it means. We just know or feel that if we don't do them, something dire will happen. I'm going to dig deep into some of these old-time superstitions, so next time you can know exactly why you do what you do. Or you can just be a little bit more creeped out. Until next time, keep it spooky and happy hauntings. <laughs>